Hey, like it or not, work is a part of all of our lives. Whether it's homework, housework, busy work, or the work that pays the bills. During this series, we're talking about good work. We're glad that you've joined us for this episode, and I want to encourage you to stay to the end, and I have another message for you. And before you log off, don't forget to check in online by clicking that link in the chat. Thanks so much for being a part of this series. I hope it's an encouragement to you. right in the middle of our Good Work series, and we hope that you've been enjoying the series. It's been challenging to you as we've talked about uh, good works. Now, our, our idea behind the series is simply this. Works don't make you good. Good makes you work. And for those of us that have been saved by the goodness of God, His righteousness has been credited to us. You can't work for salvation. It must be received uh, by faith through grace alone. But once you have received God's goodness, that makes you work. And God has called us to be people that are full of good works. Let your good works be known before men so that your, your Father who is in heaven can be glorified. Why does the church exist? Why should you be a part of a church? Well, God says that he's given us pastors, elders like Don. He's given us uh, uh, evangelists. He's given us teachers and shepherds to equip the church, you, for the work. So that we can be about doing the good work that God has called us to do. We're super excited to continue unpacking this through the book of Nehemiah. Now, at this point in our story in Nehemiah, they have been about the work of building this ginormous wall around the city for 12 years. They've been going after this hard. And we learned last week that, that Jerusalem was having some trouble it was a place where there was significant poverty and people were taking advantage of the poor. But Nehemiah puts his nose to the grindstone and he keeps doing good work. Why? Because he's representing a good God. So as we look at good work and the different things that good work does, today we're going to see this in our passage, that good works to give generously. Good works to give generously. Uh, According to Goodreads, that's an online site for books, the number 42 best-selling book of all time is a book called The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have read that book, right? It's, it's almost in every one of our, our bookshelves. Now, here's the thing. Whoever wrote The Purpose Driven Life, his name is Rick Warren, has sold over 50 million copies of that book. Let's just pretend he got a dollar a copy. He got more than that. That's 50 million dollars. I heard Rick Warren uh, say that he lives his life as a reverse tither. In other words, instead of giving 10% to the Lord, he gives 90% and he lives on 10. And I thought to myself, well, if I had $50 million, I could do that too. 
Easy for you to say, right, big guy? Turns out that he was pursuing reverse tithing well before his book went viral. And the reason I believe that his book has been so successful, not only has it got great principles in it, but I think he's been faithful with a little bit of money. And God said, hey, I can give to you because I can give through you. We learned last week that that's who God wants to give to. He wants to give to us because he knows he can give through us. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, one of the marks of a follower of Jesus should be radical generosity. As a matter of fact, that's one of our values here at Branch Life Church. We want to be known as a church that is radically generous. In other words, we want to give regularly and radically to our community in spectacular and small ways. We want to do that through the Good Works Challenge. We want to do that uh, when we go all in as a church. We want to do that with our facilities. We want to do that with our finances. We want to do that with our time, energy, and effort. Are you someone who's marked by radical generosity? Probably like me, you're like, well, if God would give me 50 million bucks, I could be radically generous too. But this morning, what we know, that even in our poverty, even when we have little, God still asks us to be radically generous. Let's look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 5, we, uh, we, see, we see this continued conversation about good works. And if you're a guest with us, we have these journals that we'd love for you to get if you haven't received one already. Nehemiah chapter 5 is on page 22 of those journals. We're going to start in verse 14, which is on page 24. And if you are a guest with us or if you're watching for the first time online, thank you so much for joining us. We love that you are here and that you're participating in worship. And we want you to keep this journal wherever God leads you. And if he leads you back to us, bring the journal back because we're traveling through Nehemiah over the next several months with a little pause for some crazy Christmas in just a few weeks. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, Moreover, now, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't stop right there. When you see the word moreover, that's one of those transitional words, right? That's a building block word. That's a, that's a word that says, I've got to pay attention to what just happened. He says moreover, or in addition to, or because of what I just said, or plus what we've talked about. And what have we talked about? Well, Nehemiah chapter 5, the first half, was talking about good works helps the poor. Good works to help the poor. And so Nehemiah was saying, we're going to right a wrong. We're going to make sure that the poor are taken care of. And that's what we talked about last, last week. What happens with poverty? How should we as Christians deal with poverty? How should we help people around us? And, and helping the poor is something we are called to. And so let's be good at that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, moreover, in addition to helping the poor, there is a call on all of our lives that goes a step further. What? Yeah, we've got to do more than just help the poor. That's where the conversation of radical generosity now comes in. You thought you were being good at helping some, uh, someone in their poverty last time. Well, God says, that's great. Now, in addition to, listen to this, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 12th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years. So that's where we know he's 12 years into this thing, and he's done such a good job that he's been appointed governor. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance for the governor. 
The former governors who were before me laid a heavy burden on the people and took from them a daily ration of 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people. That the servants of the governor had it better than everybody else in Jerusalem. That's saying something. They were propping themselves up. But in verse, in, at the end of verse 15, I did not because of the fear of God. Verse 16, I also persevered in the work on the wall, and I acquired no land. So I kept working hard. I didn't, I didn't make profit on what I was doing. I wasn't enriching myself. And all my servants were gathered there for work. Moreover, in addition to, there were at my table 150 Jewish officials besides those that came from the nations around us. So well over 150 men. Now what was prepared for them for 12 years was at my expense each day. And the birds, uh, he goes through the list of what, what he supplied for them each day. Yet, for all of this, I did not demand a food allowance from the governor because the service was too heavy on his people. Verse 19, if you're circling a verse, circle this one. Remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. Remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. You see, Nehemiah is one of many people in Scripture who we find are examples of generous people. And here's what we know about generous people. Generous people give. Generous people give. And we want to build on that this morning. What is the mark of generosity? Well, you're someone who gives, and you're, you're marked through this uh, spirit of giving. Now, Nehemiah, we just read, was somebody who was generous with the entire community around him. Another example we'll see t this today is the example of the widow. The widow, this poor widow, came to the Jewish temple, and she dropped into the offering two mites. Two mites is less than two cents. And the people around, including the disciples, scoffed at this lady, and they said, why is she even bothered? Like, that's just a drop in the bucket. That's not going to do any good for anybody. She should have just kept it for herself. But Jesus said, no, that widow has given more than anyone else here. And there were big, rich people that were coming with bags of money and dropping it in the offering. That woman has given all that she has. Everything. She opened her palms, emptied her pockets, and gave it all to God. Why? Generous people give. The Good Samaritan is another example of generosity because the Good Samaritan helped somebody who no one else did, but it didn't just stop there. He didn't just rescue the guy that had been beaten and left on the side of the road. No, the Good Samaritan radically came back the next day. Sometimes we can get pretty proud of ourselves when we see somebody in need, and maybe they're sitting on the side of the road, and they have a can out, and they say, hey, drop, drop. Isn't it hard to give to people who are, who are on the side of the road asking for money? Because now, nowadays, are they scamming me, right? Is it legit? You actually have to be careful, even around here. Like, we are aware of people who stand out in, in, at Walmart and giant super centers who are out there, and, and they're not legit. They're, they're scamming. They even have kids with them. Like, 
what do I do? Well, well, sometimes we're moved by the Spirit and always err on the side of generosity to help those people. And we drop, we drop some money in because I had some extra change in my pocket or I was able to buy them a, a, a Happy Meal at McDonald's and, and deliver it, whatever it might be. But what the Good Samaritan teaches us is that generosity gives, it returns the next day and helps again. Checks on them. Helps them get to their next place. You see, generous people are marked by giving. The first thing we see here in Nehemiah is that generous people give consistently, habitually, and systematically over a lifetime. Generous people give habitually, systematically, and, and consistently over a lifetime. The Bible says here in Nehemiah chapter 5, uh, through this chapter, that the time was appointed to be their governor for 12 years, and for 12 years I persisted at the work, and for everyone who was at my table, that was prepared at my expense. Not just a once and done thing, but something that happened over and over and over again. Could you imagine the first day 150 people were at Nehemiah's table, and he came out and he goes, all of you are eating here? And they're like, yeah, and I'm paying for it? And they said, yeah. he go, okay. And then the next day he shows up and he goes, oh, you guys are still here. Yeah, me? I'm paying for it? Yeah, go get Chick-fil-A and, and get in Chick-fil-A. Now listen, I ate at Chick-fil-A the other day. That's not cheap anymore, right? right? Like I wanted to try the new sandwich, um, palmetto cheese Chick-fil-A sandwich. Are you hungry? It's Sunday. You can't have one. And I, I, I went there. And I went to get the sandwich, and I'm like, I'm just going to get the sandwich. I don't need the whole meal. And I, I walked out of there broke. Like, I was like, how did, I just spent my entire paycheck on a, on a chicken. Like, I can't believe that was that expensive. And then, then that's Nehemiah going, I can't believe how much you guys are eating, right? Like, this is super expensive. Like, this is a lot of food here, and I just, this is just adding up. And, and, and then two weeks later, they're still there. And two years later, they're still there. And somebody's got to provide this meal, but he's refusing to put that expense on the people. Why? Because they're already struggling with poverty. That was the whole first part of the chapter. So he prepared their meal for, at them for his expense. How did he do that? He's a cupbearer to the king. He's not taking an allowance. How did he do that? He did it by planning. He did it by preparation. He did it by creating margin in his budget. He did it by purposefully telling his dollars where to go so that he would have enough dollars to be generous. You see, Nehemiah was someone who figured out that generosity cannot just be spontaneous, that it must be systematic and habitual. Generosity is not an impulse response that we should have in our lives. It should be a marked, intentional pattern. Because those impulse moments of generosity can be super stressful. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 8. And this teaches us a little bit about this planned generosity. Remember this, all right? This is a good thing to remember. Don't forget it. I'll remind you today. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. You sow what you reap, right? And so the Bible says if you show, sow generosity, you will reap generously. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap. It's like planting seeds. If I only put a few seeds out, I'm only going to get a few things back. If I put a lot of seeds out, I'm going to get a lot of stuff back. That's this principle when it comes to giving. This is where we get the phrase, you can't outgive God, right? We know that. But if you, if you, if you reap generously, so how... I'm in. How do I do it? How do I sow generosity? Each of you should give whatever you have decided 
in your hearts to give. Each of you should give what you have planned beforehand to give. You've thought it through. You've talked about it with your spouse. You've put it in your budget. You have figured out that I've got to be intentional about what's happening so that you're not giving under reluctant compulsion. Have you ever had that bill show up that you didn't expect, but now all of a sudden you had to pay for it? How'd that make you feel? My wife and I went down to Atlantis in the Bahamas. Oprah Winfrey has also stayed there, so I'm cool like that. We got the uh, hotel package, but we didn't get the meal plan. So Jenny said, hey, let's go to that fancy restaurant on Atlantis and get dinner. Okay, we're here to celebrate our anniversary. We go in, they treat us nice, they sit us down, they give us the... The, the menu, the menu that they give to people that did not get the meal plan, which has the prices on it. I open it up. I'm going to make this up. But it said lasagna for $150. Like, wait, what? I can make lasagna at home for 50 cents. Why are you charging me $150 for lasagna? I broke out into hives. I started sweating. I got flush in the face. Jenny's like, what's wrong? I'm like, have you seen how much lasagna is here? And they want $8 for a Coke? Like, I don't understand. Like, how is this even a thing? And I'm, I'm panicking. She's like, can we just enjoy a nice dinner? And I'm like, no, we cannot. <laughs> We're out of here. Now, what if we had come to that experience a little bit different? What if before we got there, we actually had planned to spend X amount of dollars on our meal? And knowing that we were going to go out for a nice meal, we were going to set a lot of money aside. So that when we sat down and we saw that it was $150 and Jenny goes, can we just sit down and enjoy a nice meal? I would say, as a matter of fact, get two servings. Buy yourself a little extra dessert at the end on me. Why? I planned for this. I planned for this. What's the difference between a giver who is like, no, I don't want to give you the money, but oh, fine, fine, versus the giver that goes, this is awesome. Here's more. Here's extra. What an amazing opportunity that I have to give you 90% so that I can live on the 10%. That's an unbelievable thing. I want to be there with the rest of my life and be generous. How do I get there? You plan for it. You budget it. You make it systematic and habitual in your life so that it's not just a spontaneous act, but it's an intentional act that you repeat over and over and over again. This may come as a surprise to you, but at some point in 2024, a friend, a family member, or someone in your community is going to go through a crisis, and you will have the opportunity to help them with that crisis. Are you planning today to help with the unforeseen crisis? Are you planning today to have a specific amount of money available to give to the needy, to give to the poor, to give to the family and friends that you find in need? Are you giving regularly and systematically to the work of God to build the kingdom? Why? If you reap sparingly, you will sow sparingly. If you reap generously, you will reap. You will, if you sow, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Let's get there. And then giving is a joy. So the question is obviously simply this. Do you budget for generosity? 
Do you budget for generosity? In our budgets, we know that we have to pay a mortgage. We know that we have to get the kids their school supplies. We know we have to eat our meals. We know we have to pay insurance on our cars. We know we have to pay for our Netflix account. We know we have to uh, pay off our phones. We have all of these things that we have budgeted in there. And if you're like the normal person, you actually have more expenses going out than coming in. But God says, no, I want you to be responsible with your money. You're supposed to be a good steward. You need to plan and have all this stuff put in place. And in that, you should plan to give generously. Why? Because God's people has give, God, the people of God have been given everything. And we're supposed to lay our lives on the altar for the, for the building of the kingdom of God where the real value is I can give generously. And if I intentionally plan to in all of those things alongside of my mortgage and my, my school payments and my insurance, I'm planning to give, well, that's going to be a part of my budget. But I want to give you one more piece of pro tip here. Giving shouldn't just be a line item in your budget. Giving should be the first line item. You see, a lot of us approach generosity like, like we're approaching a, a, an overflow experience, right? I'm going to be generous if I have money left over. I'm going to be generous with everything that I don't spend. And, and the problem with that is most of us don't have anything left over. Most of us haven't figured out how to give something that we don't have. As a matter of fact, you cannot give something you don't have. So in your planning, I believe the first thing you should budget is your generosity. It should be the first, the first main topic of conversation. It is, it is the thing that you want to focus on. Then everything else needs to fit in after. The Bible teaches very clearly about the principle of first fruits and that your first fruits need to be set aside to honor God. Now, the second thing that we know about generous people is generous people give when it doesn't benefit them. Generous people give when it doesn't benefit them. How many of you have ever given to someone, but you've said something along the lines of, here is this money, but if you fill in the blank, I want it back? Is that a real gift? In our American culture and in our church culture today, we've become experts at giving with strings attached. We often expect something in return for the gifts that we give. Now look at Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 18. He says, I did not demand an allowance. When I worked for the people, there was no strings attached. I didn't expect a paycheck. I didn't expect goodness in return. I didn't expect favors. I had no allowance for the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. They couldn't pay me back. And when we give, we're supposed to give in a way that has no expectation of return. Now, when you get the phone call from your favorite political uh, party and they say, hey, can you donate towards politician so-and-so. Your gift would be appreciated. And then you say, I like politician so-and-so, so I'm going to give them some money. And you give them some money. Why are you giving them money? Are you giving it because of generosity? Or are you giving it because you want something in return? You're giving it because you want that person to be your president. 
And you want them to do the things that you want a president to do. And you, you want that for your benefit and for the benefit of your family because you think that's the best way to go. That's not a gift. That's a purchase disguised as a gift. And so many of us make purchases disguised as gifts all the time. God says that's not generosity. Generosity is giving with no strings attached. In the book of Luke, we learn about a centurion who was living amongst the Romans. And remember, the centurion, the, a centurion was a Roman living amongst the Jews. The, the centurion was an officer. He was an occupier. He was a collector of taxes. He was an oppressor. And he lived in the neighborhood of the Jews, and he, he, he lorded over them. He ruled them. He kept them in their place. Well, this certain centurion had a sick child. And as his child was getting sicker, he kept hearing about this guy named Jesus who would heal people. He would cause the blind to see. He even raised people from the dead. So the centurion went to the Jewish elders and said, can you go to Jesus and ask him to come on my behalf and heal my child? And the Jewish elders were excited to go on behalf of the centurion to Jesus. Why? Well, this centurion was generous without benefit to himself. In Luke chapter in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says that the centurion heard about Jesus and sent the elders of the Jews to him. The elders said to Jesus, he, the centurion, is worthy to have you do this for him, for he, the centurion, loves our nation, and he is the one who builds our synagogues. <laughs> Wait, what? A Roman was funding the building of Jewish synagogues. And he didn't worship at synagogues. He was a pagan. He had his own gods that he believed in, the Zeuses of the world. But yet he, out of the generosity of his heart, was paying for the building of the Jewish synagogues. And because of that, he was marked as a generous man. Who's ever heard of this? Actually giving to something that gets you nothing in return. Are you someone who gives without strings attached? You don't designate it to benefit your children. You don't give to the church so that you can prop up a program that then later you can take advantage of. But that you just give out of a generous spirit because you cheerfully plan to do what God has called you to do. Be generous. The third thing we learn about generous people is simply this. Generous people give when others do not. Generous people give when others do not. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15, the former governors who were before me had laid a heavy burden on the people and took from them out of their daily ration. The former governors, the normal MO, the thing that everybody else did was collect money, was to receive, was to give to get. But generous people give, generous people give when others don't. You see, this is what makes generosity radical. The Good Samaritan not just dropped a few, few pennies in a jar, but he came back the next day. He, the, the widow who said, you gave 10%, I'm going to give 100. Nehemiah, who did what nobody else did and refused to take an allowance. That's what makes giving radical. In Philippians chapter 4, 
Paul says to the Philippian church, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. You see, Paul was saying, Philippian church, you guys are radically generous because you're giving when everybody else doesn't. And when you think, well, why is this a big deal? Why does this really matter? Remember who Paul was. Paul was traveling from city to city, spending his entire life starting new churches. And wherever Paul went, he started a new church. Hundreds and thousands of people got saved. And there was an, a, 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 a launching of faith where there was no faith, all because of Paul. And these people received life. They received uh, eternal life. They received the hope of Jesus Christ. Because Paul stepped into that place, Paul would build them up. He would prop them up. He would give them new leadership, and he would move on to another town. He had done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and now Paul was getting a call to Macedonia where there was no fruit, where there was no light, where there were no churches, and he turned around to the, all the other churches that he helped start, and he said, guys, we got to reach Macedonia, and remember what God has done for you. We are going to go do it for them. Let's go, and all the other churches said, sorry, Paul, we're out. Thanks for everything you did, but we got our own problems. I know, I know the gospel's got to go over there, but that's got to be something else that someone else does. All except the Philippian church. Philippian church wasn't known for its wealth. It never sold 50 million copies of a book to fund 90% tithing. They just gave generously. They gave because they planned to give. They gave because they didn't want to have any strings attached. They saw a need, and they went to meet a need. And because of that, they were highlighted in the partnership of not only giving, but receiving because of their generosity. And even so, they came back the next time. Even in Thessalonica, the next place that I went, you brought help for my needs once again. So many of us can get into the same, same mindset. Yes, God, I know that you've saved me. Yes, God, I know that you've provided me. Without you, I wouldn't have breath. Without you, I wouldn't have life. Without you, I wouldn't have a budget. Without you, I wouldn't have family. Without you, I wouldn't have hope. Without you, I wouldn't have joy. And I'm so grateful for you for that. Just don't ask me to give. Just don't ask me to be generous. I'm going to have to just kind of take care of my own thing, right? But God says, when you can do what other people don't, Give above and beyond, even when other people give for themselves, then you are a radical giver. Do you give radically? Do you give radically? Some of the stats that we have, even in the church, demonstrates that that's probably not the case for most of us. Radical generosity is actually rare. Giving a tithe in church, which is not required, but it's, it's kind of a principle that the Old Testament sets up. If you can give 10% of your first fruits to the building of the kingdom of God, how many, how many people actually do that, that follow that biblical guideline? Only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation tithe. Only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation tithe. In other words, they give regularly and systematically to the building of the kingdom through their local church. Only 10 to 25%. We say it this way. Most, in most churches, 25% of the church does 90% of the giving. What if 100% of the church gave a tithe. What if? 
I want you to just think about that for a second. Not just a Branch Life Church. What if 100% of everyone who goes to church in the greater Pottstown area gave a tithe? Do you know what fire would be sparked from Pottstown that would burn brightly through the entire world? Why? Because we would have the funding to take care of any sort of outreach, any sort of ministry need. We could build hospitals. You could, be, you could do incredible things because there would be an overflow of funding that would come towards the kingdom of God if just 100% of the people followed the Old Testament principle of a tithe. But the truth is, when you give to build the church, really, there's 37% of regular saved churchgoers who don't give at all. Not at all. When you give a tithe, that then qualifies you for radical generosity. Why? Because you're doing something that most people don't do. Now the church, I'm not, I'm not harping on the church. The church, people who follow Jesus, are actually known as generous givers. Even if you subtract religious giving, Christians give at a rate of 2.5% of their income, which is higher than most. However, during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. As we've gotten richer, we've actually given less. The average American in 2022 gave 1.7% of their income. So for every $100 they made, they gave less than two away. If you would give more than 2%, that would make you a radically generous person. Why? Because you're giving when others do not. Why should we be radically generous? Why should we care about giving, giving to build the kingdom, giving to help in our communities? Well, it's not that I, I don't say this because I'm seeking a gift. You may have come in as a visitor for the first time or be watching online and you go, there he goes, the church is talking about giving money again. Let me tell you why I'm talking about generosity today. I'm talking about generosity today, one, it came up in the text. I'm preaching the word of God. And two, I don't want more money from you. That is 0% of my motivation. But what I do want is the same thing that Paul wants. In Philippians chapter 4, it says this, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. Because the truth is, when we are radically generous, we understand that there is fruit in process that God is going to allow, to, allow for us fruit in our lives. In other words, I'm not giving to get something from God, but when I do give, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's got my back. And in somehow, some way, he allows for my needs to be met, spiritual, emotional, physical, for my needs to be met relationally, that when I'm a gener generous giver, I'm putting myself in a posture that receives from the Lord the things that I will benefit from the most. And it's probably not millions of dollars. It's probably joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's probably the fruit of seeing other people come to know Jesus and for the great name of Jesus to be multiplied throughout our world. How does that happen? Through radical generosity. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And that's to know Jesus more. You see, when we give, God supplies all our needs. You cannot outgive God. According to his riches and for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
So as a church, how do we stir one another up to, look, to love and good works? That's what we should be all about. How can we stir each other up to help the poor? How can we stir each other up to be radical in our giving? However God calls us to give. Well, here we're, we are laying down the good works challenge. Remember, we're challenging you, your friends, your family, and your small group to do, be a part of a good works project during this holiday season, anytime from now to the new year. And when you do this good work, whether it's big or small, and they say, how can I repay you? Say, I don't want anything, just a thank you note. I've been telling you this for the last uh, couple of weeks to ask for thank you notes instead of, instead of payment. And this, week, and this is not normal. This week alone, I had five people ask me if they can make a donation to Branch Life Church because of one of our community projects. Five. I think it's because God's like, you got to practice what you preach, right? Like, I know a couple of them. They're big business owners. And I'd be like, uh, branchlife.church slash give, right? <laughs> Just go right there right now. I said, no, we don't want anything from you, but I would love if you would fill out a thank you note. So somewhere in process, we have at least five thank you notes coming in. I've heard from you. People have been saying thank you on Facebook. Print it out. Throw it in here. Give us a good works project report. There's some papers up here. You can just write about your project. You can let us know on your check-in card or send it in via email. Online this week, we got this thank you note. It says, thank you, Branch Life Church. You have shown our family love and care, particularly for my mom, Dot Sharp. We are particularly grateful for Gerald, who takes the time every week that we come to worship to help mom get to her seat. He spends time talking and visiting with her. He also regularly visits Dot at home, where he sits with her and prays with her. She looks forward to his visits with love, the Sharps. That's good work. That's good work. And what can we do together to encourage the people around us? As you get the thank you notes, drop them in the cylinder or send, this, send them into us online. If you're still looking for a project, you can go to our community partners page. On that page, you'll find dozens of organizations who we're partnered with. You can send them an email and say, how can we serve you? And they'll give you all kinds of ideas. The reason we want to stir each other up to generosity, to love and good works, is because we have been radically changed by the love of God. Think about this quote as we close from John MacArthur. Generosity is impossible apart from the love of God. But with such love, generosity is inevitable. When you have been saved and given much, you give much to others. So what are the tips for radical generosity that we've learned today? Number one, plan, plan in your budget for radical generosity. Number two, give with no strings attached. Number three, give and beyond, above and beyond how others give. Number four, give knowing that you can't outgive God. He's got your back. And number five, give because God first loved you. You see, God in his radical generosity did this for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Have you received the free gift of salvation that comes from the gift of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again for you so that you could receive 
eternal life with Jesus. If you have not yet received Jesus as your Savior, we'd love for you to consider doing that today. You can go to our website and click the Follow Jesus tab at any point for more information or talk to any one of us after the service. Our prayer team members will be here. But today could be the day of your salvation and you can experience what comes with a life that follows Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We give because God in his goodness has given to us. Hey, thanks for listening all the way through. I hope this has been an encouragement to you as we've talked about good that works, good that makes a difference. And I hope that this has made a little difference in your life. We'd love to hear from you before you log off. So go to branchlife.church and check in with us no matter when you're watching this video. I wanna encourage you to be a part of our next episode, whether it's online or even in person. And, and I've been praying for you. Have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next time.